What's up, everybody? It's Miles Turner, the Indiana Pacers. You listen to the Pace Rules Podcast. Be sure to follow at Pace Rules on Twitter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pace Rules Podcast, the only Australian NBA podcast with a bias toward the Indiana Pacers coming off an impressive victory against the Milwaukee Bucks, where Giannis Antetokounmpo scored the most points that anyone has scored so far in this NBA season. 54 and 12 was his stat line, but it wasn't enough to be able to topple the Pacers, particularly superstar Tyrese Halliburton and the emergent Benedict Matherin in the game. I want to talk about Matherin first. Alex, we're in a lot of group chats. We've had a lot of conversations about Benedict Matherin over the last couple of weeks and his inability to get going this season. We're really worried about it. I was jumping on the trade machine to see what was going on there. And then he stopped Giannis like three separate times in the last quarter when he'd already put up 50. It was so impressive to see his ability to be able to score, get to the rim, get to the line and defend Giannis. He wanted to defend Giannis down the stretch. He did. And he won those battles. It's crazy. I did not expect this at all. I was just about to say it's lucky we only record about once every week or so because yeah. we uh, we might be old takes exposing ourselves. But yes. yeah, after a slow start, good to see the offense the last two games, 22 against the Jazz, 26 today. And yeah, as you said, the most impressive thing was the defense because look, that was the reason he wasn't on the floor in the fourth quarter of the early season games. But to, to not only say, hey, man, like, I want to take the honest challenge. This dude has 54 points. I don't care. Let me guard him. And uh, to not only say that, but to win it and to get that steal with, like, 30 seconds to go. I loved his reaction. I just posted the video. I loved his reaction after that play as well. You could see how much that meant to him. And, yeah, I told this to you guys in the chat. Like, there's no way the Pacers win this game two years ago, three years ago. When Giannis had this type of performance against us, it's a blowout every single time. So... This Pacers team feels different and Matherin, you know, progressing is going to be a part of that. But yeah, we got to talk about Tyrese because uh, I'm running out of words, man. I'm running out of words to say how good he is. 29 and 10 today and it felt like he kind of didn't even break a sweat for most of it. He's just reached that next level, hasn't he? He's averaging a tick under 23 and 12 for the season, which hasn't been done too many times before, I dare say. Not that he can necessarily keep up that pace. I hope he can. But the, his ability now to be able to recognize when he needs to be the leading scorer on the team and when he needs to take over versus his ability to get everyone involved, just like he always has since he walked in the door, um, is the thing that separated him from previous seasons. He's grown in stature as a scorer and as a go-to scorer down the stretch. He's making threes really consistently um, now in these games where you know we're having to go to him down the stretch. Uh, he's had games like the one against Charlotte, which was a very narrow loss, but he scored 43 points and looked unstoppable. Um, 25 points in the third quarter. He was brilliant. And then today again, he... You know, it was 10 to 17 from the field, five or nine from three, didn't miss a free throw. He, you know, is around the 50, 40, 90 uh, guy and will be around that for the entirety of his career. And we know that having one of those guys on your team wins you a lot of games. You're looking at great efficiency offensively from the field and from everywhere. And you're looking at the ability to be able to make everyone around him better. The paces are five and three. They're fourth in the East right now as we stand here. This is not necessarily something that we expected in terms of a 
strong start like this. We expected them to hover around 500. And sure, they're only a couple of games above 500. But I think it's the way they've been able to score, the way they've been able to put up points. They've got the best offense in the league. They're averaging 126 points a game, Alex. And it's just been so impressive to see them be able to pour it on against almost every team in the league except for Boston that one time. <laughs> and the uh, the other part we haven't mentioned is the bench because yep. the second unit has been ridiculously good, whether it's been Neesmith. Uh, I know Buddy the last oh, couple of games. He's been is... so good. So but, good. Jalen yeah, Smith. The, We've got to talk about Jalen Smith. Smith. He, I was just about to say sticks. Uh, what did he have? I think he had 16 and 11 off the bench yesterday. Uh, we, again, another guy who... I'm guilty. Like we were probably writing him off 12 months ago and yeah. he's talked about last season being disappointing for him, but yeah, to, to bounce back the way he has and he hasn't had a bad game. The games he's played, he has not been bad at all. Averaging, I think his shooting splits are like, he, he's shooting almost 80% from two, like 67% from three, which leads the league on, I know a small sample, but still ridiculously uh, efficient from the field. So yeah, it's funny how much I talked about that backup five spot and Jalen yeah. kind of said, hey, hey, let's relax. I've got it. And we talked about rebounding at length before the season started. Jalen's averaging seven rebounds a game. Miles is eight and a half. I mean, that's exactly what you need from your center and your backup center. They're averaging, what, 16 rebounds between the two of them. And that's precisely what we'd hoped would happen with uh, Miles and Obi. Um, it's happened with Miles and Jalen, but it means that you can always have a strong rebounder out there on the court, which Miles has not necessarily been in previous seasons. And Jalen Smith has been, um, you know, inconsistent, I think, in his first couple of seasons with the team after coming across from the Suns. So his ability, I mean, 12 points and seven boards, that's what you'd expect from an Al Jefferson a few years ago when he came off the bench for the Pacers. That's precisely the role that you want your backup center to play. You want him to be relatively efficient. You want him to crash the boards, defend his position. Um, and when you put him beside Aaron Neesmith, who's just been a revelation since the start of the year, consistent from three, 13 points a game, uh, which is a great bench role, um, you know, shooting 48% from three right now, which is ridiculous. Um, and it certainly feels like he's that high as well. He's been wonderful. Um, other bench players, Buddy Heald has kind of been spotty so far. He took a while to get going in this one. Couldn't catch a cold in the, the first half. He was 4 of 14. Uh, Nimhard's had your typical second season for a player, I would say. He's been up and down a little bit. Um, had 10 points in in this Bucks win as well. But you know you're going to get high-quality defense from Andrew Nemhard. So we have now a nine-man rotation with Smith, Neesmith, Heald, and Nemhard, where... Everyone knows their role. Everyone knows how they can contribute to winning and they complement each other extremely well. The issue is that we've got a really, really deep bench. We've got Isaiah Jackson, Daniel Tice saw his first minutes of the season. We've spoken about White Iverson. Ben Shepard and Jarris Walker aren't seeing any minutes whatsoever. Jordan Wara, who we traded for last year, no minutes at all. Um, and then the two-way guys who you wouldn't expect. But we spoke about the depth potentially being a bit of an issue. It seems like Rick has chosen the guys that he's going to stick with, but at the same time, what happens to those guys later in the bench that are not seeing those reps? They're getting better in practice, but they're not having real game experience. Well, I was going to, I wasn't sure if we were going to touch on this, but Shams came out with the, uh, the bomb today. I wasn't even sure if you saw it. Uh, yeah. 
Clippers are interested in Daniel Tyson. I thought that was funny. I know Sticks was out today, but the second a contender becomes interested, let's throw him out there. Let's get him some minutes and see. That's right. I loved it. The the audition minutes from Rick Carlisle. Um, I wasn't expecting it. But, I mean, what have the Clippers got to trade? Really, they've got That's four guys point. making over yeah. $40 million. And, uh, and apart from that, not much else to be able to cobble together, particularly with Tice making $9 million. So unless um, they're going to give us a series of role players, which we already have too many of those guys to begin with, um, and, you know, we're going to have to waive some guys. It's probably going to have to be some second-round picks involved. They haven't got any picks to begin with, so I don't really know how they expect to trade for a guy making $9 million a year. Yeah, it's one of those things where the Pacers have no roster spots as well. Yeah. And it's going to be somewhat difficult to make them available, I guess. So, yeah, I don't know. Daniel Tice trade seems unlikely to me at the moment, but I uh, look... Uh, if we don't trade him or if we do for a second round pick, like it's not going to make the, the world's biggest difference. I don't think. No, it's not going to make any difference to the franchise overall, but I think it's it, just like the McConnell contract, um, like buddies expiring. These are all pieces that you can use to turn into greater things and guys that are going to potentially raise the ceiling of your team. Um, you sacrifice a little bit of depth, which we have a lot of depth uh, and you bring up, the ceiling to sacrifice a little bit of the floor. So I'll be interested to see what Rick does. I mean, for his part, buddies look pretty good. Um, he's obviously brilliant offensively. He's had a couple of head scratching moments on both ends when he's tried to not shoot from outside and try to do other things, but he does share the ball and he plays his role extremely well and he'll be successful for whatever team he plays for. It's just that, you know, I think it's going to be hard to find minutes for everyone. It's also going to be hard to justify keeping all this talent on the team when you could potentially trade for other guys around the league that could um, play meaningful minutes and upgrade one of those positions. Um, the other thing that's tough is that right now we've got two starters, Nobi Toppin and Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown has been pretty good. I mean, he's putting up numbers today at 11, 9 and 7. He's playing his role well defensively. They seem to really um, be embracing him as part of the rotation. Um, but then you've got Obi Toppin, who hasn't really found his way. He's only played 13 minutes today against the Bucks. had four fouls in that time, didn't have a rebound, didn't have an assist, no steals, no blocks, um, and seven points. So uh, a rough line for Obi, and he's uh, found it difficult to get into all of these games. There's only been sort of every second game or so where he's looked comfortable. Yeah, I think it's a learning process for him. And for the Pacers, I wonder if they do want to play small, I wonder if that's the the kind of hitch with him in the starting lineup is that he gives you more size. And actually, to be fair to him, I thought he did a good job on Wemby the other yep. day. And I know he's a rookie and he's going to have ups and downs, which, you know, he had a rough one against the Knicks yesterday as well. But uh, yeah, it, it's funny, man. I, I keep thinking Neesmith's going to jump into the starting lineup, but then I think, does Rick want to play small again like he did last year? Uh, the paces have been hurt on the boards already a couple of times this season. So, I mean, where, where do you think Obi sits? Do you think he's going to stay in the starting lineup or do you think that will eventually change? I think he will. I think you've now got a really good mix with Neesmith coming off the bench. Um, I think he gives you shooting off the bench. I think he, he gives you effort and you probably need that for sort of spurts of the game. And you need to be able to kind of inject 
talent into the game if your starting lineup is struggling. I think that the Pacers are in a good position where the other four starters are going to pick up the slack and Obi's going to be able to crash the boards and slash to the basket as um, as his, his custom. But uh, if your starting lineup is struggling, you can go to your bench for, for greater talent. I, I would love to see the team upgrade this position, though, um, across the season because I think that's the difference between being a play-in team and being a playoff team is this four spot. And Rick has done Rick things with Jarris Walker. Um, it's fair to say he's he's always been known to be a little hot and cold with Rooks and Jarris has unfortunately got the cold side, whereas Nemhard got the hot side last year and and really gained Rick's trust early. Um, Jarris hadn't played a lot. I, I would have loved to have seen Jarris Walker defend Giannis for just like two or three minutes today, just to yeah. see how he went. Um, I think uh, we gave up, like, I think we, we, we had an 18-point lead early in the game, uh, and that's probably, you know, we, we surrendered that. we surrendering runs to opposition teams quite regularly at this point. But I'd love to see this kid thrown out there on some superstar players for two or three minutes at the end of the first quarter or the start of the second quarter. And sure, you give up leads, but you're going to give up leads with everyone else on the floor anyway because you're surrendering more points than almost any other team in the league while scoring more points than any other team in the league. So give him a chance. Um, I don't know whether he's not showing up in practice, whether he's being outplayed in practice by Neesmith and Toppin to the point where Rick's just like, no, um, we can't risk that. Uh, But the few minutes that he has played, he's looked okay. Would you agree? The Celtics game was good, but obviously that was, was a tough because yeah. you know we're down by fifty points, so it's hard yeah. to take anything from it. But the playmaking and the defensive disruption are things I think he can help you with right away. But it's also the flip side is like the Pacers are winning right now, so do you want to change the formula? I don't know. I get what you're saying though. I think today, especially with Smith out. It would have been one of those days to say, hey, Jarris, you can come in for the first like three minutes of the fourth quarter, try to stop Giannis a little bit. If you can't, then we take you back out. Uh, yeah, it's tough as well because you've also got guys like Nora who were good last year in the rotation. He's not playing. Uh, you know, you touched on White Iverson. McConnell was a massive part of our rotation for years and now he's getting DMPs. So I just think that, that it's the two-edged sword of, yeah, we have a lot of depth, but we probably have too many guys that are maybe like the 10th or 11th guy right now. Yeah. It's tough to, to clear spots or clear minutes. And you've also got a situation where it's tough for me in McConnell with McConnell, because even though he's not playing, I'd love to have him in the locker room and you can see the leadership. Like, yeah, I don't know if you saw the post J I think it was JJ yes. or someone pointed it out on Twitter where he was talking. Yeah. Coaching them hard and, yeah, those moments with McConnell were uh, priceless. And just the the tone setting that that guy can give you off the bench, he's he can be Udonis Haslam for this ball club. Like that's that's really the he can still play a little bit. He, yeah, he can still play can, a little play, bit. Well, I'm thinking about Udonis Haslam like six years ago, um, okay, yeah. back when he was my age. But um, I, I think I think TJ McConnell can be the type of guy that can lift up everyone else around him, coach everyone else around him and also come in for five or six minutes and give you, you know, eight points and a couple of assists and a couple of steals um, in a tough spot. So I I think that's a luxury to have. 
Uh, and I think if you're looking to trade any contracts, then you you don't trade McConnell. You trade other contracts before you get to McConnell, uh, unless he asks to go. If he asks to go, if he says, come on, Rick, give me a chance to win a championship on the floor, um, then I think if you find the right trade partner, then you definitely trade him. Um, but if he is happy in the role that he has this season with the Pacers, then you keep him uh, and you trade, you know, uh, obviously, Buddy's expiring, Tice, um, Wara, um, and then even uh, you know other guys that you potentially don't want to get rid of. But if it's in pursuit of a guy that's that you know near All Star or All Star level, then then you you give up those sort of assets along with the OKC pick and our own pick. I mean, it, you have to look at this and think to yourself: if you cobble together healed. Um, Isaiah Jackson, Daniel Tice, and one of the players that you probably don't want to give up, like Nemhard, um, or even Toppin himself, then you could go knocking for someone that's pretty good. Well, that's where the uh, the trade deadline becomes interesting, doesn't it? Yeah, there might be a, a power forward or two available. Yeah, well, there's there's a couple of ball clubs that are really struggling that um, that have power forwards that that they might want to get off. I mean, Toronto is only four and four, but they've looked not great in different parts of the season. And they have a guy named Pascal Siakam that um, <laughs> is pretty good at basketball. Washington gave Kyle Kuzma a bunch of money and he's available. I'm not sure whether you'd necessarily want Kyle Kuzma in your locker room, but um, if, if you did, then he's probably available too. Jeremy Grant's a guy from Portland that's going to make a lot of money. So you'd, you'd have to really, really think that you're a chance to contend over the next few years. If you got him, I would personally stay away. But that sort of quality of guy, I think you have to consider um, bringing him into this club because I think if you've got Matherin, Turner, Halliburton and Brown, um, then you you have the makings of something, particularly if Matherin shows what he did against the Bucs. And then if he is inconsistent and if you get to the all-star break and the trade deadline and he's not able to carve out a really clear rotation spot and he's in the doghouse some nights and it's trick or treat, then you, you have to have to look at what's out there. You know, two years into a rookie deal, still got a lot of currency, still got a couple of years left to, to earn small money. Um, this team needs to work out over the next month or so if it is going to put a few chips in because I think when Halliburton's extension kicks in, all of a sudden cap becomes an issue and you can't let salary cap become an issue um, because that hamstrings you when you're trying to bring in really good players. You have a window of the next three or four months, I think, to sign someone really, really good. The new CBA makes things interesting as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Yep. Uh, I think teams are going to realize pretty quickly that, oh man, we can't be middle of the pack if we're paying three or four guys 30 plus million. We got to get rid of one of them. So there could be teams, and I know uh, this is not a Pacers related thing, but your guy, Carl yep. Anthony Towns, is one of those dudes. Oh, who, no, yeah. Uh, I, I think he could be on the move. The Wolves fans in my life are so out on Carl Anthony Towns. <laughs> uh, it's not even funny, and I do not want him anywhere near this ball club. But, um, yeah, I, I want a guy who tries on both ends and uh, and is motivated to succeed, and he hasn't really shown that at all. So you're going to be paying that guy $60 million. It's, it's quite ridiculous. And you compare that to Tyrese 
five years at an average of about, you know, 41, $42 million a year. That's great. <laughs> By comparison, paying $60 million to Carl Anthony Towns or 40 to Tyrese Halliburton. Um, that's, what that's did Jalen Brown just good. get? Like yeah. 50-odd million? So. I think he got i think he got five years and nearly 300 million he got nearly an average of 60 a year Jeez. by the time it's all said and done and tatum's going to get the same thing next season so they're going to have 600 million dollars committed to their two best players in boston which is going to mean that they either need to trade one or they're going to have to surround them with really low salaries and that's what I mean. If you have a superstar, all NBA type player in Tyrese Halliburton, and that is what he has been this season, then before he starts making 30% of the salary cap, then you need to find another guy that's making 30% of the salary cap to try and pair him with. Because then you've got, you know, Andrew Nemhard on a rookie deal, Jarris Walker on a rookie deal, Ben Shepard on a rookie deal, maybe Benedict Mathurin with two years left on a rookie deal after this season. Um, Bruce Brown, a tradable contract. Miles Turner, a reasonable contract. Like Kevin Pritchett has constructed this roster so well that you have the ability to be able to add a maximum contract and not compromise significantly on talent. That's also the beauty of like Bruce Brown's contract, right? Yeah. It has a team option in the middle. So, A, if you're a team trading for him, if that was the case, it's not that big of a burden. You control and B, it. if you're the Pacers, Hey, if Bruce keeps playing well and, and is fit, you keep him. If he doesn't, then you can cut the losses and you know you get twenty million your cap space for next offseason. Yeah. And that twenty million is going to be immediately eaten up either by Buddy Heald or by Tyrese's extension because he's going to go from like ten million to forty overnight. Um That's true. <laughs> and and you just have to be so careful with that. So that's why I say you know, you look at Miles making twenty, um, Bruce potentially making twenty. Buddy potentially making 20 and Halliburton making 40 is $100 million if you have all those guys on your team. We have this season, the rest of this season, to find the second guy, the second star to pair with Tyrese. I think um, you can potentially stretch that out into draft night. Uh, but, yeah, we have, let's say, the next nine months to find the guy that we're going to pair with Tyrese uh, for the next five years. Uh, so I think it's it's a really, really important period in this franchise's history. but. It's a balancing act, Alex, because you don't want to compromise what's building here, which is a really good culture. And we saw it a couple of years ago with Oladipo. Um, a really good culture was being built as soon as he was injured, as soon as we changed coach. Um, that culture was eroded almost overnight with a bad coaching hire. We won't have the same problem with Rick, but um, you've got to consider how that went downhill. Yeah, and the other thing is you don't want to pull the trigger too soon. Um, there are teams who give up four or five first-round picks and then they find themselves as like a fifth or sixth seed ceiling. So that that's the other part of it if you're the Pacers. And uh, yeah, I, I do think that Kevin Pritchard, in particular next offseason, he will be very active. That's, that's my guess. Yeah. I think he knows that he has a window of time before Tyrese's extension kicks in before he can get this team to what it will need to look like as it continues to make a run toward the top half of the playoffs. Um, so I, I think they're intelligent enough to know what's coming cap-wise. And $40 million a year is not something the Pacers have ever committed to anyone, ever. So they have to be front of mind in understanding how they can complement that cap sheet with talent. Um, and they've done a good job so far. Let's turn our attention to the next few games for the Pacers. 
um, heading into the weekend. Uh, we're obviously at five and three right now. We're first in points per game, second in field goal percentage, fifth in three-point percentage. So just a crazy offensive output um, by Indiana. The next few games, we have a uh, two trips to Philadelphia next week. They're the only two games in the next seven days for the Pacers after that back-to-back win against Utah and Milwaukee. Um, hopefully uh, Joel Embiid rests for one of those games. They're at six and one. So you would think that he might rest for one of them. Um, and then four games the following week with Orlando at home, then at Atlanta, Toronto at home and Detroit at home. So if you look at the slate, I mean, if we can pinch one against Philadelphia, we've got Orlando, um, Atlanta, Toronto, Detroit, four extremely winnable games. Um and it's very conceivable that we could be sitting here at, you know, nine and five. Yeah, I think I'm with you. You, you got to almost... <laughs> Joel Embiid loves to, to kill the paces, though. So that's the other thing. He yeah, might he just might say, hey, I'm playing both games, boys. But um, yeah. yeah, if they can find a way to split that Philly uh, home stand or away Way stand. Trip, yep. Yeah, if they can find a way to split that, I think they'll be in good steading for the next week or, so, or two weeks. Yep, and then Portland um, in Portland, and they're struggling and rebuilding, and then we travel to Miami to round out the month of November. So very conceivable that the Pacers finish um, not just above 500, but a couple of games above 500 at the end of the month of November, um, which would be a fantastic result. We will continue to bring you coverage of the Pacers season on the Paceroos across 2023-2024. Alex, thanks for joining me. It's been fun, man. Six and three. Pacers are playing well. Unbelievable. Fourth in the East. Here we go. We've been the Paceroos. See you again next time.